This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS Radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there, too. Welcome to HITS Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today I have a, a very familiar guest. If you listen to my podcast a lot, I've had uh, Ron Cloward on here quite a few times. Ron's from uh, Northern California, retired uh, lieutenant out of Modesto. And uh, I've had him on, on our show several times, but I'll uh, let Ron kind of go over his background real briefly. But I brought him on today because I saw that he gave a, a short interview. Maybe it was a longer interview, but they only gave him, of course, a, a short part of it, of a long interview that uh, a local uh, media guy and use that term loosely for for the way media treats the cops but a news uh, anchor person out in uh, northern california did a a story about police dogs and of course it was the usual bias against us but ron had a few good very good quotes supporting our industry so i wanted to bring him on just kind of talk to about that story for a minute how that got brought about uh, what his thought was about you know is it good or bad to talk to the these media people and ron has a lot of experience dealing with media so i'm going to kind of go into that a little bit because, uh, you know, not not commenting sometimes I don't think is the best idea. I think maybe when we have a, an opportunity to, to throw a fact at them that they can't ignore and not give them anything else that they're going to skew, maybe that's a, a better thing to do sometimes. Because these uh, media stories, they're out there, they're prevalent. And if you do any type of uh, Googling police dogs right now, you're going to find quite a few of these different uh, so-called investigative reports to show that police dogs are bad and that uh, you know agencies should not use them anymore so we're clearly under attack right now and i think it's a good time to really start planning how how we defend ourselves and what we can do better and what we could do uh, differently so with that i wanted to bring ron on and just kind of talk about some of his experience especially dealing with the media which i'll let him kind of explain all of his uh, background on that so ron how are you doing today Good. How are you doing, Jeff? Doing good. Got a little bit of background from that uh, speakerphone, but uh, I can I can hear you pretty good. If um if you can, can you kind of go over your background uh, briefly? I know you've been on the show several times, but in case somebody hasn't heard you before. Okay, so um, I've been doing canine for well over thirty five years now. Um, I retired as a lieutenant in the Modesto Police Department. Uh, during my tenure with the police department, I was also a uh, department PIO, so I spent a lot of time in front of the media. Um, during the Lacey Peterson case, I spent just about every day in front of the media um, until we quit uh, doing press conferences. So I have a lot of experience with um, dealing with these guys and knowing that they always have a have an angle. They're always going, you know, after one particular point and um, I was always taught and trained that you have your um, basically your agenda or what it is you want to to get out the message you want to send and stick with that message. You might get that same message out, but say it in five or six different ways. So, um, so that's my experience level in dealing with the media. So I, I agree with you. I don't think that always the best answer is no answer. I think. Um, you know, I think we do ourselves a lot of harm because if we don't give them something, they're going to go out and find something. So I had no problem. He called me and said he was looking for an advocate for canine and wanted to to uh, find somebody and talk to me. And I agreed to it. So he came over here and met with me. 
And the story I was thinking, I was thinking on the story, I was thinking about putting a link in the uh, show notes. I'm kind of going back and forth because quite honestly, I don't want to give this guy any extra clicks for his 30 minute hit piece. Cause it's we. in fact, you and I were talking about if, if people haven't heard it, it's, it's so slanted. Uh, for instance, you know, he, he, I think he described a robbery suspect as somebody who was uh, saying mean things to a store clerk while he was shoplifting, but not calling it a robbery. So, you know, just to give the listeners an idea of how slanted it was clearly not um, nothing that's going to do us any favors, but, and I, I know you knew that going into it, but I like the fact that, you know, you, you stood there and gave him some of, you know, defended us going back to um, some of the, uh, some of your training at some point, I'm sure, you know, as you promoted some point, they told you you wanted to be a, they wanted you to be the PIO. What was your reaction to that at first? Um, at first I was like, you know, you want me to be a PIO? I don't know anything about it, but they sent me off to several different schools and, you know, I learned how to, how to do it and deal with it. And I kind of had fun with it. Um, especially during the Peterson case, I made Diane Sawyer angry, uh, <laughs> one morning. I mean, just stuff like that. So it was kind of like, you know, it was kind of a good time in that aspect, um, during a very bad time for, uh, the Rocha family and all But Um, but I mean, I just, I felt pretty comfortable with it, and I, I just don't give the uh, the media um, what they want. I always give them what I want to give them. So, um, you know, that's kind of the way I was taught to yeah. deal with them. So I guess where I'm going with this is, you know, like I know over the years, especially I was in Patrol K9, we'd be on a big scene, and I remember one time we were putting our equipment back in the trunks of our car, and, and a newspaper guy walked over and wanted to start asking me questions. I told him, you know, go find a PIO and get away from me probably and there it was two o'clock in the morning there was no pios probably would have been better just to give him a, a quick snippet of what we did and and sing our praises because we had just caught a real bad guy but my my thought then was uh, i don't even want to go near him i think that's probably what a lot of people think but if somebody is going to talk to the media without any training can you kind of just give a little bit of of you know you're saying don't give them anything that uh, they're going to change you know what what is it that 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 you were trained you know to avoid what you know loaded questions i imagine and stuff and you basically uh, i'm sure have a, have a pre-thought idea of what you're going to tell them well you avoid the kind of questions where they're trying to back you into a corner um so those kinds of questions you just kind of avoid and when they're asked basically like i said you come back with your message of the interview um so i mean like he asked me at one point uh, in this interview, he says, uh, what do you say to the people that say they should abolish canine? And I knew he was trying to kind of back me into a corner to say something about it. And yeah. all I came back with was, I said, well, those are the same people that wanted to defund the police. And we've seen how that worked. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, it really gave him nothing. Um, and but yet I answered his question because it is pretty much the same people. Yeah, Absolutely. So that's kind of, I mean, that's, and I, I would caution people if they're not, if you're not trained to deal with the media and then a lot of policies are out there too, that dictate whether you can or can't. Sure. But, um, before I ever talk to anybody, I always kind of put together my own, formulate my own game plan. So I already knew when he got here that day where this conversation was going to go and how I was going to handle it. Yeah. In fact, I told him when he got here, how it was going to go and how I was going to handle it. <laughs> so, I mean, he kind of knew straight up you know, that was what he was going to get. So, yeah. um, but I caution people, if you don't, if you don't know how to deal with them and you don't, you just don't want to get yourself painted into a corner. So a lot of times if you're the, the copper on the beat 
and you've got something going on and the media walks up, you know, I would avoid it and just let them know, hey, uh, um, you can check with our PIO in the morning, yeah. you know, give you any information that you need, that kind of thing. And, I, you know, I would caution people to, to jump into it. Okay. And it's, 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 it's a very adversarial relationship by what I would say because of the way the media treats police officers. So it's really not that different than going in and testifying in a, in a trial, just being careful with your words and listening to what right. they're asking and giving them the information to answer their question. If, if you're going to answer the question at all. Right. Yeah. You, like you said, you just, you want to be very careful on how you answer questions. And again, don't allow them to paint you into a corner no different than you would want a defense attorney to do that to you on the stand. And I know you, before we started this, you mentioned that, that you, you told that reporter he wasn't going to be able to misquote you. So do you also are, I'm sure you're very careful with the words that you're going to choose. So that way they can't turn them around or edit something out of, out of what you're saying, right. I assume. Right. Yeah. You, you don't want to give them anything that they can twist. You know, they take maybe like, um, well, you guys, you've seen it. I mean, you see it on the news all the time where they show you a, a four or five second clip. But when you see the whole 15 seconds of it, yeah. there's a lot more to it. So yeah. you just want to make sure that, that if they do pull a five second clip out of there, it's not going to be something that they can twist and use against you. Yeah. So on to the bigger part of this uh, podcast, too is uh, these hit pieces against canine, I think they're coming uh, quite a bit more regularly now, which brings to, you know, the topic of if if you were, you know, the person who, say if you were somehow appointed to the number one person that could, you know, policy, create policy for every dog in the whole U.S., are there things you would change, you know, to head off, you know, these types of attacks in order to, to ensure, you know, that, that we're going to have this viable tool around for a lot longer than then we're going to be around. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm probably going to make some people mad with this, but um, it is what it is. I mean, we are uh, slowly but surely creeping toward a time or an era that uh, you could see the patrol side of canine abolished. Um, you know, states starting to get rid of it, pulling it out, saying they're not going to allow it anymore. When it comes down to as the problem, I think is the fact that there's, really no there are in some states but in california there's absolutely no regulation or requirements for um uh training yeah. for canine handlers so they could go to a uh, three-week school they could go to a five-week school but california the state post um really does not uh dictate um what's taught in those schools and how long they are um so I think that creates a lot of problems for us. Sure. And so if you're going to change anything, that would be something that I would change. Institute better training and more consistency in the training. Right. I mean, you know, there should be, there should, I mean, much like it is when somebody goes through a, uh, um, an academy. Yeah. Okay. The curriculum for each phase of the academy and what they want taught. And there's case law in there and they run scenarios and, decision-making drills and things like that, where there's some law enforcement canine um, training that takes place where there is no decision-making, there is no um, uh, scenario-based yeah. stuff, you know, uh, deploy, don't deploy type scenarios like shoot, don't shoot, Yeah. Um, that kind of stuff. So it just doesn't happen. So, I mean, I told this guy, I said, if there's a perceived, perceived problem in law enforcement canine in California, then 
the way that it needs to be fixed is for the legislature to enact some type of mandatory training for canine handlers. And is that, um, has that been discussed at all in California? Well, it was discussed years ago when I sat on the panel with Post and helped write the uh, current standards. Um, it was discussed then, but they don't want anything to do with it. In fact, the certification standards in California are listed as a voluntary guideline. Yeah. And because of that, you know, it, it takes them out of the loop that it's not a certification. It's only a, a certification if an agency adopts it as their certification standard. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think, you know, they want to fix something. That's how they can fix it. Uh, but, um, I just think we need to start making better decisions, you know, as trainers and as dog handlers to, uh, make sure people are properly trained and they're making good decisions. I agree. And I think that's the, the part that, you know, as I travel around, I see a lot of times people have to spend so much uh, time just doing their basic training to keep the dogs, you know, solid on releases and solid on recalls. They spend right. all night doing that. Then they don't have time to do any, uh, you know, scenario trains. That's one of the reasons I, you know, I like doing training where I can show them ways that you can uh, clean up your dog and keep them clean and then spend your training night doing scenarios and putting, putting the handlers into stressful positions, trying to figure out if they're going to still send the dog or not send the dog and, and push the envelope that way. And, and uh, I think that, that right. helps our industry quite a bit. Here's a, here's a perfect example of something. Years ago when I started this business, I took over an agency, a local agency's training program. And the first day I did an evaluation of all the teams. And in doing that evaluation, um, I had one handler, the female handler, and her dog, uh, we went to do an area search, and her dog wouldn't range out and do an area search. And she says, well, where's the guy hiding? And I said, well, your dog will tell you. Yeah. She goes, oh, we're not there yet. She said, we're still doing flight of sights where the dog runs off and or the man runs off and the dog sees him and then he goes out and finds him and I said but you're certified and you're on the street and she said yeah and I said well how long was your handler school she said one week wow yeah <laughs> I mean that's what I'm getting at I mean we we've got to make better decisions um in our training programs I agree which then I think those that should then go to and you and I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you see a lot of uh, YouTube videos with deployments that, uh, you know, if you could advise them before they deploy the dog, you probably would tell them maybe maybe not send the dog or, or you know, interject the dog in some of these situations. Right. Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you see it. Yeah. yeah. And this guy brought up uh, the bite in San Jose where the dog ended up biting the guy in the garbage can in the throat. And he made a comment. He goes, well, that was an ugly bite. And I said, every dog bites an ugly bite. Yeah. Yeah. But I've never seen a pretty one, Michael. But I said, but this guy set the context. I said, he made the decision, the choice, not to surrender. And they made an announcement. Yeah. And I said, so, and how many announcements did he make? And he goes, well, I think there was more than one. I go, I know there was more than one. Yeah. I said, so, yeah, I go, it was ugly, but he made the choice. He's the one that stayed in the garbage can. Yeah. Yep. You know, so I mean, I, you know, I didn't know what to tell the guy other than he, <laughs> so he, he actually did say in that story too, that I, you know, um, advocated for the San Jose police, you know, canine yeah. unit in that bite. And I did, cause yeah. I don't think the guy did anything wrong. Yeah. And I think that's what, uh, you know, it's that public perception and 
do you do you obviously public perception about cops i i honestly don't think overall public perception through all the crap we've been through in the last few years the the big majority i think they still like us but the media is now spun you know their their tale about how a lot of us are bad do you think that is starting to to creep in to policy decisions for canine you kind of mentioned it before you know you're worried about agencies getting rid of dogs yeah no i really i don't think so i think um i kind of agree with you i don't think that there is as many people that hate canine as we think they are they are a very vocal minority and the media gives them a voice um and because they get that voice it sounds like there's a lot more of them than there is but we have something happen around here like there was a dog that just canine that just died here locally at parvo um something that's very you know not yeah. very common it happens but it was a patrol dog he had just finished patrol school um the community like came out in droves they were doing a gofundme trying to raise money to help replace the dog yeah the chief you know uh stepped up and made a comment basically that no we'll take care of it we appreciate the gofundme but you know, I'll find the money. I will replace the dog. So, I mean, you know, I think that's a clear example that people in the community and citizens really do care more about law enforcement than the media portrays it. I agree. I agree. I was having a conversation not that long ago about all of this, though, about, you know, the perception and all that. And I, I, I was telling one of my buddies that, you know, the, the thing that it kind of comes full circle about not having these YouTube videos is those people that are paying for that dog they're they're what i would consider normal people and, and what i mean is as cops we're not really normal we can accept violence it's just part of the world we live in and we use violence in a good way so when we see violent things we don't react the way you know 90 percent of the world would because they're they're more normal and then i think as dog handlers i think we even have even more edge because you know as a dog handler who's invested in training and stuff we can see a dog bite somebody and you and I would look at the dog's body language and think, wow, you know, that's a nice dog dogs, you know, and, and no, in, in my mind, it's like, I don't, I'm not worried about the guy. He, he deserved, he, he made decisions and, and, uh, decided to, to put himself in that situation. So I, I can, as dog handlers, we can remove the, that part of it. And then we can, you know, kind of look at the, the whole event and watch the dog and, and, and take it for what we look at it. But even those people who paid the money to, to you know, re, uh, replace that dog, most of those people can't really deal with seeing that sight. And I think the more times we put some of these questionable things out in front of these people, that's where I worry about, you know, that what I would quote, say a normal person, you know, what they're going to think of seeing, you know, some of these apprehensions, some of them, even when they're good, and we know that, you know, their policy, they're in policy, they're, you know, everything is good about it. Uh, if it takes the handle a long time to remove the dog from the situation or they leave the dog on too long, those are the things that I worry about that are going to come back and, and hurt us. You, you agree with that at all? Or Yeah. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, the shock and awe to the general public of a dog bite is like, oh, my gosh, I've never seen anything like that. Where, you know, when you've seen them and you've experienced it, it's like you said, we look at them from a different angle. And I had a chief used to say this quote on a regular basis. He said, where you sit is where you stand. And that's a perfect description of how people, where they sit is where they stand. That's the way they see things. Yeah. But when they've been where we're at, um, we see it differently. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I think that's a, that's a fair statement. Um, I, I can, I can say I totally agree with you. Yeah. And I think when, when, you know, cause I think some people are banking on, you know, there's so much citizen support, which there is, but those, you know, again, you know, so-called normal people, when they're given their, their 10 bucks or 50 bucks or a hundred bucks towards replacing this, this dog, they're thinking of the dog they saw at the demo that was a beautiful shepherd or Malinois that was social and is on a calendar or something, or they get stuffed animals that look like many of those things that we do, which are great, but they, I don't think a lot of them then put the math into, I'm going to pay money to help this dog go do these things. So I think that's where, certainly I'm not saying hide any of this from the public, but I think that it goes back to, you know, the good training, the, the very, very good control to being able to take the dog off of the suspect, you know, verbally, if, if needed from a distance that, you know, quickly and make it look like the professional exercise that we know it is. And, and get rid of some of the, you know, the standing over the guy and trying hard to, to lift a dog off because those people, you know, they're, they're not going to be able to, to support us when they see some of those things. Right. That's exactly true. And, and, um, I mean, I've, I get contacted for ex, ex, expert witness work, um, quite often. And yeah. I did have a case where, um, and probably many people saw, it, but it was a dog was on a bike for a long period of time handler kept telling the dog let go dog wouldn't let go um continued continued for this one on for quite some time and you know they wanted me to come in and be the expert witness and after looking at it and talking to him about it i just said you know i mean i'll do this for you but you're not going to win this you need to just settle this case and it's just a situation where um poor training uh the dog was the wrong dog I don't know. I'm, I don't know what the case yeah. may be, but it's got to be a training issue just from watching it. Um, and that, those are the things we need to be cautious of. And, and if we know we've got a problem, fix the problem. Don't ignore it. Don't avoid it. Exactly. You know, that's, that's exactly what's going to destroy this industry. Exactly. And that's a problem dog and a problem handler. And I see lots of agencies that ignore either end of the leash or oftentimes both. The problem handler also has a problem dog. And they just kind of kick the can down the road. Yeah, I mean, both ends of that leash can be dangerous. It's the wrong person or the wrong dog. Exactly. Any other things that you see coming down the, you know, as the way that they're kind of coming after, you know, canines in general that you think uh, we should, anything we should change? Um, no, for me, the biggest thing is just the training side of it. Yeah. And there's, you know, again, I, I keep alluding to that. There's a lot of really good trainers in this country and some really good folks that know what the heck they're doing and they apply, you know, good tactics and good training programs. And, you know, they, they supply a course outline to the agency. This is what your handlers are going to learn for the next eight weeks or 10 weeks, whatever the case may be. But then there's those that aren't. And if administrators, you know, they really need to pay attention to who, is going hands-on with their dogs. And I don't want to, I don't want to stress any administrator out and tell them, you know, um, this is serious, but it is, uh, it's one of the greatest liabilities that they have. And I don't want them to think, well, maybe we should just get rid of canine if it's that big of a liability. Well, you're not going to get rid of SWAT. And it proves a great liability as well. So, um, but you supply them with all the training that they need and you make sure the training is proper training. Um, 
do the same thing with canine. You know, and that's a great point because I can't think of an agency that I've dealt with where the SWAT supervisor is uninterested and uninvolved in SWAT. Not, I can't think of a single one, but I could think of, what would you say, half of the canine sergeants in the country really don't care about canine or what they do and rarely go to training if ever and usually it's a side a side uh, job they have amongst their other duties yeah i don't know that i would use the word don't care but what i would say is that they've been shoulder tapped in the hallway saying hey you're going to take over canine um because doing these supervisor canine commander courses around the country and we do quite a few of them um, what i find is the people do care the ones that are in there they yeah. care about what they're doing the problem is is they don't know anything about it and they've been given that assignment along with the motor unit along with the SWAT team along with yeah. you know uh, school resource officers and so they're so spread so thin they don't have the time to go and give their canine program so sure. uh, I've got agencies that I haven't seen the canine supervisor in probably two years well, and that's what I, that's, I think the ones that are going to your class, obviously they care, but there's a lot of times where I go and do e-collar classes and, and it's a transformative process for the dogs. We're, we're putting a lot more control on the dogs that they, than they had before. I mean, you've been to our class and, uh, see that, I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of a big deal for, for some of these agencies to, to have some, you know, out of state instructor come and, and do it. And I, I don't know, maybe, maybe half the time the sergeants will show up for a short period of time and. And there's then there's the ones where the sergeants are there the whole time, but you know I've, I've right. been I've been to several where you know the sergeants are there, if they're there at all they're there for a very short time and not really interested in the the whole process which is surprising to me to think you know you spend a lot of money to arrange this training even for just quality control you'd think you'd want to be there and make sure that this instructor knows what they're doing and you're getting your you know bang for your buck for it but right. I mean, years ago, I was doing an audit for an agency going through their canine program, and it was in California. And I sit down and I interview everybody when I'm, and I ask them, you know, questions about their program and how it's run. And the supervisor, I asked him, I said, I noticed you don't go to training a lot. He goes, no. He says, I quit going because every time I showed up, they did things differently. <laughs> <laughs> ding 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 <laughs> yeah, i said i asked him I go, don't you see that as a red flag and he goes well yeah i guess it could be and i'm like well of course it's a red flag so you know i mean that's what i'm talking about they they give up maybe for the wrong reasons they think that the, by being there that it's having a negative impact but it really doesn't i mean i've got agencies here that their supervisors are at training as much as their handlers yeah. And it makes a difference in their program. Absolutely does. Absolutely. And then yeah. the, the handlers also then feel supported in what they're doing. You know, I recently. They feel like there's a, yeah, they feel like there's a buy-in from their department. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not just kind of doing their own thing and nobody cares. Because that seems like those are the agencies that also get have the problem handlers who on training days, you know, are there for part of the time and then knock off early or leave and go do something else. Because there's not some some people need to be, you know, have their hands held. It seems like in canine, that's um, not that many of us. It's, it, I've always thought that was a cool thing about canine is that you can have 40, you know, dog handlers in a big seminar and uh, none of them have any rank at all. And everybody works their ass off the whole time because we just like what we do. But there, there are some people who, who I think sometimes need to have a sergeant there to, 
make sure they right. actually do their work. Right. But I think those are all good information. I think if, you know, if not, if, if taking anything away from this podcast, um, I think maybe it'd be, this is just a good time, you know, watch a couple of these, uh, hit pieces that are coming out. If, if you haven't had one in your area, you will, um, I, cause they're coming out all over the country and there's a couple of national sites that, uh, did some online investigative journalism. So look at all those, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, spend a little time looking at what they're saying about our profession and then apply it directly to your agency and your situation and figure out, you know, if they come to, to my department, can my chief or my supervisor explain why that doesn't apply to us? And I just think it might be a time for a little self reflection, you know, because everything in, in our uh, profession right now is there's no common sense anymore. When, when we have places where you can't put, you know, throw gas during a riot, I think everything's on the table right now. Would you kind of agree? Right. No, I agree. I agree. Even with uh, um, with this particular case and uh, from this guy in the Bay Area, you know, he was talking about the demographics and the areas that he was talking about. That is their demographics. So yeah. if you have, a, and and so knowing that information, like he went after the, you know, the African American and the Hispanic and saying how they were basically being more of them bit than anybody else. And I told him, I said, well, there are statistics across the country that show that that's not true i said but these areas that you're talking about are predominantly hispanic yeah. or predominantly african-american so of course there's going to be more bit there because that's the demographic of the area and it's high crime in both those areas yeah so to take that uh, negatively and go after the department or the canine program it, it's just not a, a fair overview so yeah, you're, I, I think you're right. I think you watch these hit pieces and you know what's going on out there. And if somebody contacts you, be prepared to address those demographics. Yeah, and talk to your supervisors now. So that way, you know, your chief your chief knows what's going on. Or also, you know, that way, you know, sometimes these uh, phone calls come in and either the PIO's office or supervisor, whoever will answer without doing their research. And I think, you know, just being out ahead of all of it could be what could right. save this profession. Right. I agree. But what I do worry, and you mentioned it too, you know, just kind of wrapping it up is, is I don't, I'm not a sky is falling kind of guy, but I really do worry, you know, that, you know, some state either, you know, my state is just as crazy as your state now, but one of these states is going to do some blanket, no more, you know, patrol dogs that bite people. And then I just worry about how many times that domino will fall after that or agency by agency or, or anything else because I've seen a few even in our state I've seen a couple of larger agencies that have dramatically cut their canine units already and right and I told this guy I said there's a lot more people whose lives were spared that were bit by a dog that had not been a dog there we probably would have had yeah. to shoot them yeah and those are those are things that you know when we're involved in those those are stats we need to track and write up and make sure we have all those at our disposal so again, yeah. when, when this, you know, and, and the politicians are, are looking at it too. So, I mean, it's not just the media, some of these, uh, right. you know, Washington state was very close to losing there. So it's just, uh, I wanted to bring you on just to kind of talk about that and how to deal with the media. And then maybe just, uh, remind everybody that this is a good time, you know, at the end of the year to take some time to really look at your policies and compare them, your policies and your practices and, uh, compare them to, you know, what's going on on some of these news stories. Right. Yeah. Policies, practices, and training. Yeah. What are you doing in your training program? Yep. 
and all those those resources are out there in abundance and people like you and I, I know you do a lot of phone calls that, you know, people can call you and they, you can give them very, very valuable advice. I'm sure you don't charge people on phone calls or for questions and stuff. And I mean, there, yeah. there's lots of people like you and I are, that are out here. So if you're listening to this and you don't know where to turn, you know, get on, get on Facebook and look at a couple of the canine discussion groups and you'll see that there's tons of people now sometimes advice is worth what you get for it but at least you can you know maybe start making some connections and find some people in your area that can can help you with any of these things that ron and i are talking about you said something that was very valuable there if anybody takes anything away from this especially an administrator i don't start a meter running when the phone rings um when it comes down to it the passion i have for this industry i care more about helping somebody fix a problem and and doing what I can to guide them in the right direction. It's not about putting a buck in my pocket. So the meter doesn't run. And I take a lot of phone calls and talk to a lot of people. And I would encourage people to reach out. Reach out to me. Reach out to the experts in your area. Yep. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure that they're not going to start a meter running just because you call them. You know, and if, they, if for some reason you do, then you're gonna, you have a pretty good feeling. Because I know that, you know, there's lots of us that, you know, I, I answer tons of emails and take a lot of phone calls. And I'm happy to do it. And I think there's, that's more common. So, you know, if somebody yeah. uh, hits the person who wants money right away, then, uh, then you know, that would probably be a time to move on and, and find another one because there's, there's a ton of dog trainers out here, and uh, we're, we're yes. all happy to help. Absolutely. So, well, Ron, I appreciate it. It's uh, right before Thanksgiving, so I know you got a busy week. I hope you and your family have a good uh, Thanksgiving, and I appreciate you jumping on and uh, taking the time with me as usual. Always a pleasure, Jeff. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you. Take care. All right. You too. Well, thanks for listening to the latest episode here of Hits Canine Radio. I appreciate everybody taking the time to listen. Hopefully you enjoyed this interview with Ron Cloward. Just wanted to remind everybody that Hits will be in Scottsdale, Arizona in 2023. So right outside of Phoenix, uh, 2023, hitscanine.net for all the information about Hits. Plus on our website, if you check our website, we update it pretty regularly. We've got other classes going on. So I have several e-collar classes that I'm going to be teaching around the country. Those dates are starting to fill up. If you're interested in doing an e-collar class with me, coming to your town and uh, teaching a three-day e-collar class, just reach out to me. My email is jeff at hitsk9.net. Uh, I'm starting to book my schedule for next year. So if you're interested in doing that, get a hold of me and we can get you on the schedule. And we make setting up uh, classes for our working dog classes through our company very very easy you just host the class we give you a little bit of logistics to help us out with comp you a spot for uh, setting it up for us and then we handle everything else so very easy we have a lot of different classes we can come to your agency your area and host that information is at hitsk9.net also so besides our, our big seminar we do every year we also hit the road and do a lot of hands-on training so check out our website and as always i appreciate listening and if you uh, want to ever get a hold of me, Jeff at hitsk9.net. Try and answer all my emails as timely as I can. And I uh, look forward to hearing from everybody. Thanks, everybody.